magical, it's full of wonders, it's, and I'm, I'm, I'm strongly convinced that the world is a better place with fine wine in it. This is One on One, a Table for Two production. I am Antoine Aboussamra. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what a fine wine is exactly, if it's not to define the type of responsibility that our ecosystem should have in, for the rest of agriculture and, and, and for the bigger society in, in general. The responsibility is the same as everyone that sits at the pinnacle of a you know, hierarchy or, or a pyramid. When you're at the top and people look up to you. Every week, One on One dives into the world of food and wine through the eyes and experience of my guests. In each episode, you will discover their journey, what matters to them, the challenge they have faced, and how the world of food and wine is evolving. So fine wine doesn't happen by mistake. It's not something that happened to be great. It's something that's been carefully thought um, about by the maker, the men of the, or the women, that really wanted to do the best they could do. Good morning. It's a great pleasure to be back in 2023 with our first guest uh, for number 41 of the one-on-one podcast. And it's always a great pleasure, wonderful pleasure, to welcome Pauline Licard, who's the co-founder and the executive director of Arini Global. Good morning, Pauline. Good morning, Antoine. Thank you so much for having me back. Such a yes, pleasure it was, to start uh, the year with you. Yes, <laughs> it was It was two years ago. Uh, you were... Ready. Yeah, it's been a long time where you were. You're actually the godmother of the Wine Hour. Uh, and uh, thank you for that. Uh, to accept the invitation. I don't know if you expected what was going to happen back then. <laughs> but I'm not sure before. anyone would, <laughs> would have expected the last two years to go this way. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're still here. We're still here holding the fort. And uh, today, uh, it's for a special occasion as well, uh, because you are going to be publishing uh, a white paper on fine wine uh, coming out very, very soon. And I can always encourage people to uh, become members of uh, Arini so they can have access to this uh, wonderful white paper and all the activities and all the things that you're producing uh, because you are the fort holding uh, fine wine and supporting the cause, as we're going to say it like this. Um, first question, I know I asked you that question two years ago, but I'm going to ask it again. Um, why does fine wine need to be defended and supported? Well, that's a that's a very good question. That's a very good place to start. Um, if you want to look at it in a very cynical way, there's a chance that, you know, fine wine loses its social license to operate in a very, in a very short way. Because if you look at it, fine wine... It's a very expensive product, a bit exclusive, so for rich people. Um, and, and until now, for quite a lot of those people are white as well, if you want to put that in the balance. Um, it's a product that is taking space from other agricultural crops. So where you grow grapes for fine wine, you don't put wheat or you don't put you know anything that's really needed for people subsistence. Um, and then it's a product that also has impact on society, both because of its production and its consumption of water, walk fills, you know, uh, but also because fine wine is alcohol in some way. And so it also has an impact on people's health and mental health that can be negative. So, of course, fine wine is not 
just this for me and for you as well. It's magical. It's full of wonders. It's, and I'm, I'm, I'm strongly convinced that the world is a better place with fine wine in it. But if you want to look at it the other way, and if you want to be very cynical about it, and if you look at what's happening in the regulations in Europe and in the US around alcohol and around agriculture as well, there's there's a chance that fine wine is actually challenged by those regulations and new rules that are coming into place. And also society is changing. And are the societies of tomorrow going to make the same space that for fine wine, that what society, that the societies that we have today are making? I'm not sure uh, fine wine will have, will maintain its cultural relevance um, in the next decades to come if we are not actively doing something to maintain that relevance that makes okay. sense because in a sense you know wine has been part of our you know tradition culture the way our societies yeah. have evolved all through the years uh and the centuries and the millennia you know it's not as if it's it's something that is just coming out there i just think that sometimes we take that status for granted and we don't really act on we just think that we are going to be a, around for the next millennium and you know yeah. my kids and their kids and their grandkids will enjoy fine wine the way we do but both because of production and what's happening with climate change and also because of societal change as i mentioned um there's i, I mean fine wine is not going to dis i don't want to be alarmist or dramatic and say fine wine is at the risk of disappearing tomorrow just saying that like everyone else we have to play our role to make sure that we are still relevant and adapted for tomorrow's world yeah what, what is interesting I and mean, i'm going to do a parallel um okay i'm, I'm going to venture into a parallel uh, when you look at formula one okay so this is you know the fastest the most technology oriented cars and everything like that etc one of the things that people say about formula one is that the technologies that are being developed there and the outlook on the motorsport is going to somehow come back down to what you know normal consumers are going to you know be doing etc and using in in the future could we make a parallel that fine wine is in a sense that elitist kind of activity but from which we can take some information about the kind of practices the kind of leadership the kind of ways we can develop the the the, the wine market that eventually will come back down to the rest of the market itself? Well, I'm not sure that it translates like this in reality. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure that only fine wine is driving some of the key questions forward because that won't be true. And there's loads of companies that do not specify in fine wine that are doing amazing work to move the conversation forward. But certainly, uh, and that's my personal belief, I believe that Fine wine needs to have that role. So if you don't have mm -hmm. it and you're in the fine wine place and you're not moving the dive forward, um, you know, viticulture is already the rich uncle of agriculture, right? Uh, it's only 4% of uh, the agricultural lands that are used for agriculture that are dedicated to viticulture. And then within viticulture, fine wine is a super niche. It's a niche of a niche. And every, you know, and fine wines producer are the rich uncle of viticulture mm -hmm. that are already the rich uncle of you having more resources than other people and maybe a bit more flexibility on what we can do to actually use those resources. I'm not going to say towards the greater good because, you know, we're not saving the world, we're just producing mm -hmm. wine, but um, towards advancing some of the conversation, research on climate change, um, and also 
changing some behaviors when it comes to social sustainability. Well, there's loads of things that we can do. Um, and I'm not seeing everyone doing in the fine wine space. Yeah. What, what do you think would be the moral responsibilities of those 1% of those people that are developing the fine wine? Because they, they are in a position where from their status, people probably will listen to them or follow in their path. And they have something that maybe some others, producers that are smaller, that are doing things, the the kind of yeah. voices they may have is different. The responsibility is the same as everyone that sits at the pinnacle of a you know hierarchy or over a pyramid. When you're at the top and people look up to you, well, first you need to not look down at people. That's yeah. <laughs> that's the first thing, and then and then you know actually understanding that if you are sitting at the top, the base is important, which is also mm -hmm. something that's forgotten in some region. Um, and, and so if you don't have the base, then you can't have the top of the pyramid. Uh, but I think leading, leading, um, by example is what you, you need to do. And again, but there's, you know, there's a lot of companies that are already doing this and going to be on everything that regarding climate change. Um, that's something that, um, that's been very much, I mean, there's loads of companies that have invested in research on how to adapt and how to mitigate climate change as well. And they've been sharing a lot of things uh, and they understand that change needs to be collective and then doing something in their very small corner of the world is not going to have the impact that they want or that they wish. So they've been, you know, sharing research, encouraging, leading by example, but there's still more that can be done on that field and, you know, there's never enough. Um, because the situation is moving quite fast. Um, and then there are some other type of conversation that maybe fine wine hasn't embraced as much as other industries, but it's everything that's linked to social sustainability mm -hmm. and the responsibility towards your workers, the difference of situation between owners and workers that like any kind of agricultural uh, situation, it's, it's quite large. Um, the The... The responsibilities of the of the production impacts that you can have within your region and your communities, if you're still using pesticides, for example, in your in your production of of fine wine, um, and also everything that's linked to alcohol. I know that you, we don't really like to talk about that, and and at least for us in France, you know, fine wine is wine, but there's actually 15%, well, 14% of alcohol in it, and it's not true that people don't get drunk with expensive wines. You know, we have They, they, they are similar yet different issues with fine wine, but still we need to talk about um, you know, mental health and you know, the trade that works with wine all day and, and sommeliers that everyone who's you know, revolving around alcohol all day, how we can create a safe environment for them. Um, and I think that's part of our responsibility too. Yeah. Do you see a move? Because we've lately we've seen a lot of people talking, you know, about B Corp, about regenerative uh, agriculture yeah. uh, certifications, etc. Do you see a lot of people in the fine wine industry starting to lean towards these? Recently, uh, Pieper Heitzig uh, yeah. has become B Corp with with Rare Champagne, and uh, so twenty four. There's twenty four wine companies. Um, I think within the 5,000-something B Corp companies, there are 24 of them that are mm -hmm. wine companies. And if I'm not mistaken, four of them are French. But, you know, just take the number carefully. I think, I think Chateau Maris is one of them. And there's a couple yeah, of others. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so 
what I'm seeing, what we're seeing is that a move towards, you know, before people were just um, organic or biodynamic, mm -hmm. and that was the only two certification that they were looking at if they wanted to change their practice. Now what we see is a move towards some more holistic and global type of certification. So like B Corp or Regenerative Viticulture, we can talk about meta, meta ethical viticulture as well. All of them, what they have in common is that this, they take a step, you know, up and they're like, okay, organic and biodynamic is good, but it's not uh, make my business lead for good. You know, B Corp is that it's business for good. So it's not just organic and, and biodynamic are usually understood the limitation of them is that you maintain what you have and then you reduce your impact. But what if you want to improve what you have and what if you want to really be part of the solution, then um, some stuff like B Corp and Regenerative Viticulture can, can change your perspective on that and can also help you be part of the solution in a small part of the solution, still yeah. someone who's quite active. The last white paper, was from a few years ago. And uh, you've seen quite a few evolutions since that initial white paper. Um, one of them is on the definition of fine wine. How how has it evolved? Yes, just to give a bit of context. So the white paper that we're launching in, later in, in January is called Rethinking Fine Wine. And it's the fourth edition um, that we publish on the matter of fine wine. And... As you know, Arini is a think tank dedicated to the future of fine wines. The first thing that we needed to do at its exemption since the very beginning was trying to define fine wine for the many reasons that I've explained at the beginning, that we really thought there was a need for definition because if you want to protect something, you need to know what this something is. Mm -hmm. And then you also need to know what the responsibilities of the one you are willing to protect are. Um, and... So we've published the first one in 2017 and the last one that we've published was in 2019. And from the very beginning, we, we've decided to have a collective approach. So we've, we've asked 250 members of the trade. And then every year we continue to ask the trade about what the definition of fine wine is. And now we've asked them, you know, what do they think fine wine or the fine wine ecosystem should have any kind of responsibilities? That was the second step. Um, and so from those definitions, we've extracted three attributes that were really standing out in most of the interviews um, to define what fine wine is. And then, you know, the evolution, the, the definition evolved throughout the year. And now today in 2023, we've got five attributes that we've added to. And so the what we've seen changing is, of course, the notion of fine wine is expanding. But also the world is changing and fine wine is really a, a human product and it, it, that lives and is understood uh, throughout our society. So as society changes, the definition of fine wine is changing. That's quite logical. Um, Can you share those attributes or it, it's left for the, uh, for the white paper? So the first attribute that we've seen that was clear for everyone is what we could call objective qualities, right? Even when it comes to tasting wines, we know that objectivity is relative, but it's something, you know, a fine wine needs to have harmony, needs to have balance, uh, developed in the glass, and also the capacity to age, that that's really important to wine that can go through time. Um, the second, the second attribute 
is something that's linked to the wine's capacity to provoke emotion. So it's a bit like, you know, you would remember, or I will remember, and I, I, I think that probably most French people will remember where they were in 1998, you know, when France won the World Cup, mm -hmm. that's kind of moment where you remember where you were with the type of food you were eating, you know, exactly that, that capacity to, to encapsulate very, very strong emotion. And to many people, that's the difference between good wine and fine wine. A good wine can be very good, but it doesn't stop the time. It's not something that you think about 20 years after you've tasted that bottle. So that's, that's very strong. And the third attribute that was there since the beginning was fine wine's relationship to its maker. So fine wine doesn't happen by mistake. It's not something that happened to be great. It's something that's been carefully thought um, about by the maker, the men of the or the women that really wanted to do the best they could do. So it's still quite subjective because the meaning of what the best mean can be totally different from one winemaker to another. But regardless of those nuance, it's the same thing that they share the willingness to do the best they can on that sort with those grapes in those conditions. Um, so those three attributes were there since the beginning. And then we've thought we've added sustainability. So we didn't add sustainability because we thought, you know, consumers were mm -hmm. caring about sustainability more. It's just that through the different rounds of interviews that we were doing, more and more sustainability was something that came up um, as important in the in the in the discourse of people. Um, so, of course, sustainability can mean loads of different things and can be interpreted different ways. The things that we chose to, um, the definition that we chose to keep for the white paper is anything that we need to do to make sure we're still here tomorrow. <laughs> A very basic one, but that includes, of course, everything that's around environmental sustainability and what we need to do to adapt to climate change, but also mitigate climate change. As we were talking, what can we do to be part of the solution? Everything about social sustainability, so our relationship with alcohol, how can we create safe environment for the people that work with us? Um, everything that regards diversity, equity and inclusion, that's also a very important conversation. Mm -hmm. um, um, the gender equality as well, and how much is enough and do we need to change the way we pay people so that we can attract more people to work either in production or in distribution of fine wine and in the hospitality sector. Because, you know, shortage of workforce is something that both production and hospitality share at the moment everywhere around the world. And it's going to get probably harder and harder to find people to work for you. And the last one is financial sustainability, which our proposition is it should be slightly different from profitability. Profitability mm -hmm. is just how much money do you need to be happy or to make your shareholder happy, depending on how you structured. Um, but now financial sustainability would be, how can I use this profit to make sure once more that I'm still here tomorrow and that I invest in this thing that will help me continue to be relevant, continue to be able to produce my wine, the wine that I produce today. And so that's number four. And number five, the last attributes um, that just arrived this year is recognition or reputation. So you can't just be fine alone in your own corner of the world with nobody knowing about you. Um, you need to be known, you know, um, it's, it's part of that recognition and that reputation that also makes you a fine wine. And we go quite, quite deep in the white paper on what type of recognition 
of what type of reputation matter matters and who needs to give you that recognition or that reputation and and, and why it matters. Well, we were preparing for 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 the conversation. You were mentioning that the the, the white paper, um, this new version, is about eighty pages long, while the last one was about twenty. Yeah. So there's there's yeah. much more information, research, details about it. We won't have time to go over everything else, but there's things that you that you that you mentioned in the different chapters in the six six chapters of the, of the white paper. One is you you were able to test those attributes with the consumers to see how they would yeah. respond to these. Um, you were talking also about you know is fine wine a collective thing or is it an individual thing? Uh, yeah. How so? Probably can you be at, fine alone? That was yeah, one of the questions that we can asked. Can you be fine year. alone? Yeah. Uh, there is about the uh, uh, you know giving the status you know, who is responsible to to tell you that you are a fine wine. Uh, so that that must be also fascinating to see the you know the different players in the in the industry and, and what their roles are uh, in terms of that you know bestowing that title of, of fine wine. Uh, and then there was something about, you know, uh, frequently asked questions that you do, that you get when you do your your, your live events or your online events. And uh, if I understand correctly, Felicity Carter uh, and yourself are answering yeah. those, those, those questions. Yeah, it's 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 been, you know, it's been three years since we hadn't published on the topic. So we had loads of um, content and research. Um, so we really wanted to, um articulate that so we've got six chapters in the in the white paper the first one is on the definition of fine wine the second one as you were saying is how so you know our definition is trade base um and it's people from the trade and a bit of collectors but how do the general consumers react to those attributes do they think it's the same thing or not um and then who's responsible for fine wines have i we've identified seven kind of actors in our value chain that are really important um, and also what was really important for me this year is that we can argue forever what a fine wine is. Do you agree with us? Are we missing some stuff? What's the difference between a fine wine and a luxury wine? That's one of the frequently asked questions. Um, and am I a fine wine? Am I a luxury wine? But at the end of the day, I was really, I really wanted to focus on responsibility as well this year. So that's, that's one of the biggest chapter that we've added is that at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what a fine wine is exactly if it's not defined the type of responsibility that our ecosystem should have in yeah. for the rest of agriculture and, and, and for, for the bigger society in, in general. Um, and then we've got those frequently asked questions. So is, is fine wine different as luxury wine? What makes it classic? What's the difference between fine art and fine wine? Um, and we've got another one on typicity and authenticity and are they different? What does it matter to consider those two terms when it comes to final? Yeah. But this is not based on research. This is mm. just our own opinion. <laughs> well, you've been exposed to so many of the, the players and you've been in the industry for so long as well, so that your knowledge is 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 very wide on, on that aspect. And and as we're saying at the beginning as well, is though this is supposed to provoke some like some more conversation. Mm -hmm. That's a job that's never finished. And I think it would be too ambition, too ambitious to actually propose just one single definition that fits everybody. But you know, if we really need to protect fine wine, if we are right in the fact that fine wine needs to be active to maintain its relevance, then at least it's it's a good start for yes. for deeper and longer conversation. Yes. 
the next around, round of research. around a glass of wine yes <laughs> now before we go to the end of the conversation with the people questionnaires one of the bigger chapter in the white paper is about you know the responsibility and yeah. um, of the the fine wine makers the values that they should represent why is it important and what are those what are those values so what we ask people this year is not just you know what fine wine is but also in some way like if fine wine was a global company or like a big brand like something or a certification like if you needed to be certified fine wine what would be the purpose of that what would be the purpose of that global do do we share anything we wanted to know what kind of purpose and what kind of values and what kind of ethos uh people thought fine wine should have and if that's something that was shared throughout the trade from producer to distributor and also throughout different countries and continent because we've interviewed people from everywhere around the world. And it turns out, again, once more, there's something quite common uh, that we, we could extract from all those questionnaires. So people thought that there was like kind of 10 values behind fine wines or something. If you are a fine wine maker, something that you could or you should adhere to so I'm not going to say, you know, the 10, the 10 values, but one the is... The most important uh, ones, yeah. Well, one is excellence, of course, because mm -hmm. we're still talking about fine wine. So it's a foundation, it's a foundational value um, and, and probably maybe the most important one if you want to distinguish with the rest of wine. The fact that you need to drive that quest for excellence and again, being, um, the, being great, even if in itself, the definition of excellence and the definition of what being great can evolve. And also that, that's a, a conversation for another day, but you know, the meaning of excellence is not mm -hmm. set in stone. Uh, then consistency is important. Something, you know, you're not a fine wine for a year or two. It's mm -hmm. something that's really long-term. Um, integrity, so something rooted in honesty and integrity and have high standard and not compromising your, your ethical standard for you know, commercial purposes or, or reason. Um, something about responsibility, again, and respect. Both of them are very important. Respect for your land, respect for the people that came before you and the people that are going to come after you. Um, and responsibility um, towards, you know, uh, your, your community and even a bit bigger towards your ecosystem. So there's nothing really new. It's just like, you know, it's, just just putting them out there and articulating them because um, we don't really associate fine wine and responsibility together. And I think maybe people do that in their own company, in their own sphere, but having them as a global you know, leadership, something that we can all look forward to together. And that translates into, um, you know, we have a section that's called what does fine wine leadership involve? And if you want to lead fine wine sector, you know, the type of things that you can adhere to. And then we've also proposed, based on all those interviews, um, a chapter which is on the way ahead for fine wine. So what does it all mean? Those 10 values, those kind of leadership um, guidelines, how can you translate them practically and what, what were the practical actions that were recommended, again, by the trade in many different parts of the world? And there's one which is about the harm chain framework. So it's looking at your production and you looking at your activities through the lens of causing no harm, either through, you know, soil, people and mm -hmm. planet and, and everything. We develop a bit like this and how you can do that. Um, 
there's everything about the the packaging that most people in the trade thought that that was one of the most urgent things that we could all do to reduce our impact and mitigate climate change, for example, and the fact that there's no no good reason anymore uh, to send bottles of fine wine in, you know, bottles of 1.5 kilos around the world. And actually the regulation is changing in Europe around mm -hmm. this, so we might not have the choice anymore. Um, and something still about encouraging respectful drinking um, and be mindful about this uh, and be mindful about the people that work for us as well in terms of alcohol consumption. We tend to forget that. So there are, you know, address accessibility. Mm -hmm. That's another big question because fine wine is almost by definition expensive um, and exclusive in some ways because most of the time it's scarce and it's on the highest price point. Um, but still to be relevant, you need to be tested, uh, tasted and experienced by people. So how can you balance that? How can you be accessible when by nature you're exclusive and, and expensive? So we, we talk to, we talk about this conundrum and how, how people in the wine trade have been addressing it. So all those kind of things. Mm, fascinating. Um, fascinating. I'm sure. That's the answer, yeah, yeah. The answer that you were expecting. Yeah, no, no, but it's, what is what is what is sure is that people are going to be discussing these and having conversation about all these, uh, and and this is I think that's one of the purposes as well is to, yeah, to have exactly. the conversation, to yeah. have the conversation going. So what I can only encourage is for people to uh, to become members of Arini Global and uh, to to read through the uh, the white paper and and to be able to be part of that conversation and uh, sharing their thoughts about that. Uh, Wonderful work. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yes, thanks. Everyone's welcome. <laughs> so so before we close, uh, on a lighter note, uh, the pivot questionnaire. So you're accustomed to it. You, oh, yes. Two years ago. Yes, yes. A few questions changed. All right. Uh, so it's the first Let's thing that comes Let's see if I remember mind. it. Okay. No, just whatever comes now. You know, maybe okay. through time. <laughs> so what is your favorite word? Thank you. What is your least favorite word? Um, now. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just talking about the deadlines and all the emails and everything <laughs> yeah that's your, your favorite virtue um virtue patience mm -hmm. favorite quality in a man um open-mindedness oh, favorite quality in a woman open-mindedness <laughs> what wine would you use to describe yourself um well, I'm from Burgundy, so I'm, I'm always, you know, um, I'm not. I'm going to answer that question differently. I've got a tattoo in my arm uh, that says "God made um, Cabernet Sauvignon, but the devil created Pinot Noir," and that's my way of looking at things. It's a quote from Andrew Chalishnev, who's considered by many as one of the founder of American viticulture. And what it means for me is that Cabernet Sauvignon and Pinot Noir are both amongst the maybe the top grapes to create you know, the most amazing red wines. But to some extent, cab is easy. Cab is easier to grow and it's also easier to define in some ways. You can pay five pounds for Cabernet Sauvignon or you can pay 300 pounds, but normally you get the quality that you expect to have for that price. When it comes to Pinot Noir, it's a more difficult grape to work with. It's, as we know, delicate and capricious and whatever, but it's also up until now, and coming from Burgundy, I can say that you would sometimes pay a lot of money for something that was quite disappointing. So it's a bit more risky. 
But when it's good, it's like magical. And at least to me, the most magical wines I've tasted were from Pinot Noir. So when I've got a decision to make in life, I look at my arm and I'm like, okay, do I want to play Cab- Cabernet Sauvignon and be, you know, quite safe? Yeah. Uh, or do I want to risk everything that kind of all in and risk, you know, crap or magic kind of things? Um, so that's, that's when I don't know what to do. I look at it and say, like, okay, I'm going to Pinot on this one. I'm going to cab on that. <laughs> okay. Nice way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> what aroma or smell do you love? Uh, I love, um, acacia flowers because that's really one of my Madeleine de Proust, mm-hmm. those kinds of smell. They, they, They flourish around my birthday in June in Burgundy and you would walk and you would have those big white flowers dangling down the trees. It's just something I would I would love to capture that smell and and you know wrap myself yeah. around it. It's very comfortable. It's very nice. Yeah. In any language, what's your favorite curse word? Um F-U-C-K. <laughs> <laughs> what sound of noise do you love? Uh my my two daughters laughing. That's my favorite sound in the whole world. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, when they cry, but not like when they cry in pain. That's really mm-hmm. also when they throw a tantrum and they cry and I just want to you know, stop them crying. In, in any case, I want them to stop crying. It's, yeah. it's unbearable. <laughs> what, what plant or animal would you like to be reincarnated in? A cat. You can do whatever you want and people <laughs> still find you cute. <laughs> Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, uh, when I when I meet God, what I would like. Yes. Um, well done. High five. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Antoine. That was fun. Yeah.